From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, May 25th. There are only 10 known silver spot butterfly populations in the world. And the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service thinks a number of these could disappear in the next 30 years. That's why the agency is considering listing the insect as threatened. Justin Higginbottom reports on the butterfly effect of wetland loss on the Colorado Plateau. Butterflies are fragile creatures, but the silver spot is especially delicate. The silver spot butterfly is a large uh, cream or orange-brown colored butterfly that lives in very specialized habitat, the high elevation wetlands on the Colorado Plateau. That's Joe Bushyhead. He's with the conservation group Wild Earth Guardians. He explains that the silver spot relies on a single type of plant, the bog violet. It's a perennial flower, white with purple veins, and it's the only food source for silver spot larvae. That flower grows near water, which is in shorter supply in the region with a warmer climate and reduced snowpack. There's also Uh, housing development, livestock grazing, surface water diversions, the draining of wetlands. All of these activities have altered hydrology. They've changed vegetation composition. All these factors have destroyed riparian areas and wet meadows where the bog violet grows. The Fish and Wildlife Service's proposed threatened designation means that insect is in danger of extinction in the foreseeable future so threatened that the agency doesn't want to define critical habitat spots for the butterfly. The argument is that drawing those borders will attract collectors and further threaten the species. Tony Jones is a butterfly collector, or a... Lepidopterist, and that's the people who study butterflies. They, they recognize it a little more as the Nokomis butterfly, because its, uh, its scientific name is Spieria Nokomis. He says hobbyists do research on butterflies and moths, take pictures, and get out in nature to enjoy the insects. We also do a lot of sort of citizen science where there's collectors that will do sampling of populations and keep collections for themselves and for museums. Jones says the impact is pretty light. Some people would argue that collecting is a, is a hamper, but most collectors are only doing sampling. And sampling doesn't necessarily hurt a macro population of butterfly. But he understands the agency's caution. He agrees habitat loss is driving this species decline, and it's not only the silver spot. His fellow collectors regularly discuss other butterfly population drops. There's a a subspecies of common wood nymph that we have discussed as the Utah Lepidopter Society about its decline. So the Nokomis butterfly, the silver-spotted butterfly, is not the only one that we have concerns about. Bushyhead at Wildlife Guardians thinks the threatened status is a step in the right direction. That designation limits some harming or killing of the insect. He says it's been a long fight to get here. The story of protection actually goes back more than 40 years. Federal protection of the species was first considered in 1978. Wildlife Guardians petitioned the government in 2013, and a 2019 genetic study showing the subspecies was found in such a limited region really helped. That area includes parts of Grand and San Juan County. But Bushyhead says a threatened designation might not go far enough. Another concern we have is that the proposed rule contains fairly lax allowances for certain agricultural activities. These include uh, livestock grazing, mowing and haying, and prescribed burns, all in silver spot habitat. Less wetlands mean less bog violets. That means less silver spots. 
Will less silver spots have an impact on something down the environmental road? The, the answer to that question is certainly yes, only because the, the silver spot butterfly, like, like native flora and fauna at every level, are part of an interconnected ecological web. The public comment period for the proposed protection is open until July 5th. Justin Higginbottom for Casium News. The National Institutes of Health has begun a nationwide research project to better understand how to prevent and treat what's become known as long COVID. They're also looking at how to determine who's at risk. Mark Richardson, with our partners at the Public News Service, has more. The COVID-19 virus has affected millions of Americans, but most people have recuperated from the illness, at least initially. However, doctors say thousands who thought they were done later develop long COVID weeks and even months after the initial symptoms are gone. Long haulers, as they're called, often experience heart and lung problems, fatigue, and cognitive issues like brain fog, says NIH neurologist Dr. Walter Koroshitz, a co-director of the study. We really don't understand why that is occurring. So the Recover Initiative, which is called Researching COVID to Enhance Recovery, is trying to understand why this is happening and with that understanding to develop treatments that can help these folks. The University of Utah is one of more than 80 sites in 30 states that are part of the study. People of all races, genders, ethnicities, ages, and locations are needed to volunteer. Look online at recovercovid.org. I'm Mark Richardson. Utah is bracing for another COVID-19 surge. Sherry Quinn, with our partners at Utah Public Radio, reports on what doctors are currently recommending to reduce risk. Cases of COVID-19 continue to rise across the U.S., including Utah. The latest variant has been linked to 40% of total coronavirus cases. During Intermountain Healthcare's weekly update on May 19, infectious disease expert from Intermountain Healthcare, Dr. Brandon Webb, said Utah is currently in another surge phase, and he expects cases and hospitalizations to rise for at least another month. The patient populations that are still experiencing severe disease are predictable. And at this point, one of the most important parts of our strategy to live with COVID as it ebbs and flows, is one of personalized or individualized risk reduction. He said identifying risk level has to do with five things. Immunity. If an individual has had Omicron recently, they can have some immunity to the subvariant. Vaccination. Effective protection requires three doses. Age. People age 50 and over are more at risk for severe disease. And overall health, which includes the number of medical conditions. And the fifth risk level is behavior such as activities people engage in out in the community, given how prevalent COVID is. COVID's strategy is no longer one-size-fits-all. Dr. Andrew Pavia of Primary Children's Hospital says the positive COVID test rate in children increased five-fold in early April, but luckily they have not seen hospitalizations increase dramatically yet. He has another concern. Hospitals are full with non-COVID patients along with a major staffing shortage. We're experiencing a lot of staff absenteeism due to people calling in with COVID. And that is really putting pressure on our ability to deliver care. And that's what I really worry about for the next two or three weeks, rather than seeing a huge amount of severe illness in children. I'm Sherry Quinn. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, May 25th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.